Uh, and we were kind of flabbergasted to realize that for a generation that has kind of taken Google Maps and Apple Maps for granted, your navigation journey ends when you get to the door of the building that you enter. And there is all of this other data that's beyond that door that we don't have access to. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Awesoming's podcast, where we highlight people pursuing their definition of, you guessed it, awesome. So buckle up and get ready for some more success story adventures and failures from Kentucky's tech and entrepreneur community. Well, hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning back into this episode of the Awesoming Podcast. I am here with my new baseball partner in crime. He is shortstop. I'm second base. So we're going to turn a lot of double plays. I'm really excited. And I'm sitting down here with Jose from Good Maps in Louisville, Kentucky. So pumped to be here because he is with Good Maps, like I just said, and they are a fellowship company for 2021 in our cohort. So excited to to sit down with you, have you on the podcast and get to share with people across the state in our entrepreneurial ecosystem, what you do and why they should care about the problem you are solving. So awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Garrett. Yeah. So, so my name is Jose Gastambide. I'm the founder and the CEO of Good Maps. I'm a relatively recent Louisville transplant, originally from Puerto Rico. Uh, and moved here to Louisville with my wife, who's a who's a Louisville native, and have been at Good Maps for two years now. I have never been a transplant. Maybe one of these days I'll I'll be dangerous and move somewhere else for a little bit. But glad to hear that. <laughs> well, so so first thing you just mentioned, you're a transplant. I did a little deep dive. Uh, my brother works for the FBI. Actually, he doesn't. But found out that you <laughs> you were with the Peace Corps. You were a volunteer of the Peace Corps in Honduras. How the heck did you get involved with Peace Corps, and and why Honduras? You know, I, I reached a stage in my life where I found that service was giving me a lot of energy uh, and giving me a lot of purpose. And the more I did it, the more that resonated and the more that was true. In the Peace Corps, something that had always captured my imagination. Uh, and at one point I said, wait, why, why not the Peace Corps? Why not go and, and serve abroad for a couple of years? Uh, I was three and a half years into my career at that point, And I just felt like if I don't do this now, I'm just never going to be able to do it. Uh, and so in 2007, I uh, shipped off and, uh, and joined Honduras. Now, back, back in those days, the Peace Corps did not let you choose uh, where you went to. Uh, these days, when you apply, you'd apply to a particular post, but, uh, but, but not when I applied. And so during my interview, they said, where do you want to go? And I said, well, anywhere, so long as it's not Spanish speaking, I want to learn a new, uh, new language. And then, uh, you know, the invite comes in and they're sending me to Honduras. And, you know, they, they knew what they were doing and I didn't. And, and it allowed me to kind of hit the ground running on day one instead of, you know, burning a year just trying to figure out what people are saying to me. So, I, hey, I get that. I look back at my life and I wish... I would have learned a second language because English is great here, but when you travel abroad, sometimes you're scratching your head because you don't know how to interact. So, so again, so you were with the Peace Corps and then you went off to college. Is that, that's correct? No, I went from the, from the Peace Corps to graduate school, uh, to my MBA at Cornell. Perfect. I actually said that on purpose just so you could talk about it. And then we're gonna have a plug for Andy from the office. Cause he's a Cornell grad, you know? There you so go. yeah, again, you went to, have you, have you heard of it? Yeah. Have Never you heard, heard of it? it? <laughs> oh man, that's so good. So one of the things I, I found most interesting is is just to pick people's brains on what they valued from their educational experience. So again, you went from, you got a bachelor's at Babson College and then an MBA from Cornell, like you just mentioned. I think now you're not probably on the same path you were when you were in, in school. So what would you say is maybe the most impactful lesson or maybe the most effective lesson you learned in school that you implement today as a startup founder? 
Yeah, it's it's such an interesting question. Um, you know, so Babson, for those who aren't familiar with it, is a purely business uh, undergrad. Ninety five percent of the classes that you take are business, and then obviously an MBA program is is very business focused. My biggest takeaways were actually how important all of the other things are and how important the humanities are and how important soft skills are. Uh, hard skills aren't that difficult to develop. Uh, I don't want to I don't want to undermine how difficult they are and how important they are. Uh, but I, I think we're living in a time it's I'm a big fan of sci fi. And I feel like we're, we're living in a time that a lot of comic book writers would have warned us about, which is, you know, the, the power to do something versus the ethics and the morality not to do it. Uh, and uh, uh, in a lot of those humanities courses, those are the kind of questions that you jump into and, and discuss and they never come up at the business courses uh, in the in the art of leadership and what leadership means, not what you see on the screen when you're watching a movie, but what it means day to day, you know, week to week and in, in life. Those are the kind of things that come up in the humanities and, and not in the business courses. And so when, when I look at the things that I rely on, even now in my day to day, very few of them were in a classroom. Very few of them were in a classroom. Most of them were about uh, the experiences I had with my classmates and, and a lot of just uh, leadership experience. I genuinely love that response because that's so true. You learn from doing. And yeah, as, as you mentioned, soft skills and leadership, like my mind instantly went to Marvel and just, you know, your, our minds are crazy, cool tools. And it just went through the whole Tony Stark narrative of how you went from this jerk, bad boy, like, you know, whatever to now this self-sacrificing leader. Yeah. So funny that my mind went there, but yes, I totally agree and that's cool to see that you went to school and yet you appreciate something entirely opposite of what you actually learned. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think at the core of that is is something that most people tend to resonate with, which is that the right answer is often not the hardest part to figure out. The, the hardest part is how do I go from where I am now to convincing everybody around me? Uh, and, and motivating everybody around me and pointing them all in the same direction so that we can get from where we are now to the right answer. Uh, what's the right answer tends to be what you learn in classes. How do I get to the place where the right answer is actually put in practice and put into the world uh, is what you learn outside of the classroom. So good. So, so good. And speaking of learning outside the classroom, Jose, we're here to talk about Good Maps and do a little digging. So Good Maps is, is a company you guys are developing new indoor digital mapping platforms and again, focusing on enabling, you know, accessibility and providing res like first responders with all the data they need to do their jobs. I read that and I think like, oh, that's cool. You know, thinking almost theoretically, it's, it's kind of ambiguous to me. So I'll, I just want to hear your, your business where the heck did this idea come from? And yeah, we'd we'll, we'll, we'll love for you to walk through what you are doing and what problem you are actually solving. Yeah, totally. So I'll, I'll give you the very brief version of the prologue, which is that there's a nonprofit here in Louisville called the American Printing House for the Blind. They've been around for almost 170 years. Uh, traditionally, have done a lot of the Braille in this country. Uh, and a handful of years ago, they decided that they wanted to do more than Braille and more than education and wanted to focus on solving the accessible navigation problem. For somebody who's blind or low vision, how do you get around independently? How are you made aware of what's around you? So they developed this app, very successful, got some good feedback. And in their wisdom, they kind of realized that a 170-year-old nonprofit isn't the natural owner of emerging technology, particularly of the kind that, that we're talking about here. Uh, and so they started what was then Access Explorer, hired me to run it, uh, and hired my, my CTO along with me. 
so that's the prologue. As, as soon as we joined, we really quickly came to the realization that the bottleneck for the problem that we were trying to solve was not applications that people had access to that would help them navigate. It was actually a data problem, and it was specifically an indoor mapping data problem. Uh, and we were kind of flabbergasted to realize that for a generation that has kind of taken Google Maps and Apple Maps for granted, your navigation journey ends when you get to the door of the building that you enter. And there is all of this other data that's beyond that door that we don't have access to. Uh, and, and if it's a building that you're familiar with, maybe not that big a deal, right? You can rely on muscle memory. Uh, but what if it's a hospital and you're trying to get to the emergency room? What if you're blind and you're trying to get to your meeting? What if you are a first responder trying to identify where all the flammable materials are or identify what the building that you're entering is actually made out of so that you can edify your strategy for fighting that fire within that building? Uh, none of those things are available because we have barely begun the process of mapping the indoors. And that is the problem that we uh, went about solving and have really focused on solving uh, and using, you know, a lot of the, the buzzword bingo of LIDAR and machine vision and artificial intelligence and augmented reality and really taking all of those things together to help solve the indoor mapping process and, and help solve the accessible navigation process along the way. My mind instantly goes to every spy secret agent movie when they're like going to break into a building or you go rescue somebody and you see them like, you know, fake code. And then all of a sudden like the digital blueprints of the building like oh take the elevator shaft on the, on the left and like in three steps you know do whatever so this is actually that real application no. that's super cool yeah it's it's so funny right because like you know they pull that up so quickly and they've got the whole building and then they've got all the little blue dots everywhere and they can see exactly where everybody is that is pure science fiction like that generally is not available to, to folks, or at least it hasn't been until recently. But, you you know, somebody with video skills puts it together for a movie and you think it's possible. And until recently, it hasn't been. Well, Hollywood, that's a wrap. We, we just cracked the code <laughs> that you guys are fake. Awesome. Well, hey, exactly. So you joined Good Maps from from Interapt, where you served as a COO. Again, cool, fancy acronym. Again, I want to ask you, because you are a very technical founder. So what skill sets did you gain from the IT firm that maybe might have helped you spur on to the next journey? Yeah, when I, when I look back on that COO journey and in, in a lot of ways continuing that in the CEO journey, it's about, this is going to sound so weird, but it's about switching costs and reducing switching costs and being able to go from a conversation with your dev team to a conversation with your finance team to a conversation with your marketing team to a client, to an investor, uh, to a board member, all of that in the span of four or five hours and not losing a beat as you do it. Uh, I'm coming from the consulting world where, you know, you spend 12 weeks on a single problem with a very small team and you're able to just go deep and not really deal with a lot of the noise that most of us have in our day to day jobs and, and leaving consulting. That was not <laughs> the world that I was in anymore, particularly in entrepreneurship. So, so you know, I, I think looking back on my development over the last four or five years, that is by far uh, the one where I have uh, come the farthest. So let me ask you this. Why should people care about the problem you're solving, which is indoor digital mapping data collection? And I think a follow up to that is why this industry and, and why now? Like this, you know, you mentioned Google Maps, Apple Maps, go back years, go to, you know, MapQuest, all this stuff. So, yes. So, so why now? But then also why care about this, this people group that maybe honestly people might overlook? So let me start off with why people should care. And I think there are three primary reasons. Uh, the first one is it's a matter of equity and independence. Uh, 
the availability of mapping data and positioning data and by extension navigation is about allowing people to live their fullest lives and to take advantage of the space that we have dedicated a lot of resources to building and uh, and to maintaining. Well, you know, there's a there's a group of folks who can't access that, uh, and and they have dollars in their pocket and they have experiences that they want to have. It is an economic opportunity. The second reason is uh, you have your eyesight right now. Uh, one of the things, right, we've got a silver wave coming. We've got an aging population. And what tends to come with aging? Uh, loss of eyesight, right? The the percentage of people in this country that have some uh, like version of, of vision loss is around 7 or 8%. That's going to get pretty close to 20% over the next decade here. So what you're really doing by enabling your building with accessible navigation is actually making it future-proof and making sure that you can continue to engage your, your current clientele and all of the clientele whose needs are going to be evolving over the years to come. Uh, but the other reason that people should really care is the curb cut effect. Are you familiar with curb cut effect? Should I go into that? Yeah, you definitely go into uh, it because even though I'm an expert in this, one of our listeners might not be. <laughs> AKA I know nothing. Uh, so the, the curb cut is the, the little ramp that we put into curbs uh, when, you're, when you're walking the street. Uh, exactly. And it, and it came from the uh, accessibility movement in the, in the 60s and 70s and, and was part of the ADA. Uh, and it was put in for people who use wheelchairs. Well, as it turns out, there's an enormous benefit to everybody from the curb cut. Uh, cyclists, mothers with strollers, people with, uh, you know, a short gait. That wasn't the reason that they were put in, but everybody benefits from the curb cuts in some shape, way, or form. Uh, let, let me give you another example that I think really hits home. The very first audiobook was recorded in the basement of the American Printing House for the Blind, and it was recorded for veterans who were coming home from World War II blinded. It was created with a very specific, very niche audience in mind, and now it's a multi-billion dollar industry. If you develop technology for super users and for, and for really extreme use cases, you are going to stumble into a value proposition that goes well beyond that originally intended audience. Uh, and that's really, really exciting for us. When we started this journey, we had no idea all the different ways that our technology could be packaged to benefit folks. Uh, firefighters and first responders is something that we didn't start this journey expecting. And the more people we talked to, the more we're like, oh my God, this technology can save lives. Uh, tracking hospital equipment uses the same fundamental technology that we have, maps and sensors and cameras uh, and blue dotting. The average hospital will waste $2 million a year in hardware that they lose or time that they spend having people chase that hardware. You can track all of that using the same technology that we have and save all of those expenses. So when you, when you focus on one of these really niche, really specific problems and solve it, there's all kinds of benefits that come beyond it. And that's what we're living. Sometimes it is hard for me even to hear what people are, are solving, what you guys are accomplishing. And I say you guys as in startup founders that we work with and, and you know, past and present fellowship companies. And just to think you mentioned yeah, the first audiobook was made for World War II veterans coming home blind. That just puts that that puts so much into perspective for me. Yeah, so super cool. Thanks for sharing that. And then you bring up something like in the hospitals when either inventory goes missing or employees, nurses, doctors, whomever have to go track that down. That's your most expensive asset right there. So very cool to see that this is has such a wide 
range of what you guys are, are solving and, and where this focus can go. So super cool. And again, if that didn't answer anybody's question of like, like, why should this care? Why does this matter to me? Then yeah, you need to check yourself. So super cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jose, let me ask you this. So if you could spend, you know, no more than four or five hours uh, a week on your business. So on good maps, where would you spend them? Uh, I would split them between my team and my clients. Uh, I think those are ultimately the the lifeblood of any successful business. You, you've got to have a culture that that resonates with your strategy and a, and a team that can execute on that strategy. Uh, and you've got to be close to your clients. You've got to know what it is that they're thinking about or what it is that they're sweating uh, every day and how you can help make that uh, a little bit easier. Everything else is about facilitating those two things. We're, we're just meeting for the first time. But I can tell that you're a real leader. So that's Oh, yeah, I love you. hearing that. You're welcome. You're kind. welcome. So I, I looked and I saw in Sports Illustrated that you swam the English Channel and Alcatraz without a wetsuit, which is pretty impressive. And you cycled across the, the country. So yeah, are you just some adrenaline junkie? Like how the heck did you prepare for these feats? That this is super cool. You know, I, I wouldn't say that I'm an adrenaline junkie. I would say that I'm an adventure junkie. Um, and I think one of the things that I've always been afraid of from a young age is living a boring life. Um, and I, I, I used to read a lot when I was a when I was a kid. I used to skip swim practice so I could read under the bleachers. And I just always found myself transported to these other lives, these other worlds, these other experiences. And I just wanted to live as many of those as, as possible. Uh, and so when the English Channel came up, when that opportunity came up, it was a chance to do something unique and to, and to test myself and to push myself. Uh, when Alcatraz came up, I, I had actually torn my rotator cuff since swimming the English Channel. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, another opportunity to go through another another story uh, in my life. The, the biking across the country was in between graduate school and starting my work at McKinsey. I was like, I got three months before I go headfirst into a really intense profession. Uh, what better way to spend it than alone on a bike, um, you know, seeing the country and seeing a part of the country that, that, that I would probably never again get a chance to experience in this way. So, so for me, it's less about adrenaline and more... Uh, about adventure. You're so cool. <laughs> I want to hang out with you. This is, yeah, this is great. So you, you mentioned you're a transplant from Puerto Rico. You live in Louisville now with your wife, Catherine, and your, your soon-to-be slugger of a son, Emiliano, and your dog. So I found out you're an avid baseball fan. I, I said that earlier in the show that we're going to be turning double yeah. plays in the business world. What is the best wisdom or maybe life advice you could give about balancing your life, balancing being a husband, a father, yeah. with being a business owner and an entrepreneur? It is. It is so hard, man. Um, I think the, the best advice that I have and advice that I should probably give myself more often is that the business will never stop taking up your time. Uh, you've got to be capable of saying no to the to the business. Uh, and what that means is developing a skill set around prioritization and around willpower of enforcing that prioritization. Uh, and, and, and knowing when you're living the 80-20 rule and when you're beyond the 80-20 rule and knowing, you know, making the distinction between what's urgent and what's important, uh, I think is a, is a skill that takes a while to refine. There is such a prevalence of mental health issues among startup founders. And I think what that boils down to is this sense of identity that we tie to the success of the business, that the business doing well means that I have value or that I have done something worthwhile. 
And I think that's really dangerous. I think that's part of the startup culture. I think that's part of the startup media and the way that we cover startups. Uh, but it's really dangerous. And um, you've got to find ways to avoid that. My, my value is not my business. My business is not my value. It's what I dedicate my profession to. Uh, but my, but my family, uh, and my values and the things that I care about are, are what I look at at the end of the day, but it's hard to do. It's hard to do because all of the messaging coming externally, uh, tells you otherwise. Uh, and so you've got to have conviction in your values and, and keep those messages at bay. Otherwise you're just going to go into the same spirals that, that so many founders do. I was listening to a talk probably about a month ago and an, an entrepreneur in the Midwest was talking about the difference between conviction and passion. So many people nowadays talk about passion, like, oh, I'm so passionate, like, I love this, yada, 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 go on. I do it because I'm passionate. Well, passion can run out. And oftentimes, people say they're passionate about something, but it doesn't cost them anything. And when you, when you mentioned conviction, I heard, heard this guy say this, that the difference between passion and conviction is passion is emotion without experience, and conviction is emotion with experience. And I heard this, and I thought, oh my goodness, that is, that's so true, because when you have conviction, it's based on something you have done or you've seen go before you. And yeah, as you're saying this, I'm thinking, some of the people in our space here at Awesome Inc., they're, they're husbands, they're, they're wives, they have kids. And talking with them, like, oh my gosh, my wife didn't sleep last night, you know, or she's pregnant with her second and like, oh, she's so tough. Or man, like I realized I need to go home earlier to have lunch with my, my, or have dinner with my family before my son goes to bed. Cause he's, you know, two and then I can get back to work. And so you're, you're making all these balances and you have to know what's important. So that's so great that you're sharing this. And I, I appreciate it hearing it. And I, I also know that the people tuned to our podcast do as well. Yeah. Thanks for that, Garrett. You know, what, what you just, uh, mentioned, uh, uh, reminded me of one of those lessons, uh, that, that we talked about at the beginning of the, of the podcast, which is about values, uh, which is this thing that we tend to kind of roll our eyes at, right? They're the things that are written on the walls of your office buildings that nobody ever pays attention to. But, but I actually think doing work on personal values is just so important and so misunderstood. Um, and values are on a, on a personal side, uh, ultimately about what you're willing to pay for and what you're willing to, to sacrifice. Um, and, uh, in, in, in living those values comes with a cost, right? So like the value of truth, so many people, you ask them what their values are, truth, truth, I value truth. Well, truth means being willing to have really difficult conversations. Uh, a lot of people aren't willing to pay that cost. All companies want to be innovative, innovative, innovative. Well, the value of innovation is being able to accept risk and failure, right? You've got to ask yourself if your company is actually putting people in a position to, to fail and not lose their careers, because if not, you're not going to be very innovative for, for very long. So well, speaking of, of, of truths and, and values, you know, we have a couple here at Awesome Inc. that we hold true to. And I know that Keith, director of the fellowship, walked through those with y'all as you were onboarded. So before we wrap up, Jose, I'd love to hear what is something that maybe you personally want to achieve or with, with good apps that you hope to accomplish within your, your time frame of the fellowship program? Uh, I have really enjoyed the members of the, of the fellowship and connecting with the other entrepreneurs who are maybe a couple of months ahead of me or a couple of months behind me, but all kind of in that, in that same day-to-day -day grind. Uh, and, and you guys bring in really fantastic people. Uh, and I've really enjoyed the sessions that we've had so far. Uh, you know, we, we started this in the middle of COVID and I really want to get out there to the awesome Inc offices so I can meet the team face to face. I mean, you guys have been doing good stuff for, for so long and you have such an incredible reputation among the startup ecosystem in the, in the state and really the region. And, uh, I just want to hang out with y'all. Y'all are fun. Well, Hey, I appreciate that. Sounds like you need some more, some more community up here. We're always glad to have you over in Lexington. 
So Jose, we're going to wrap up again. Everyone who's tuning in, thanks so much for, for giving up your time and listening to this, learning about local businesses, startups, and really just adding value in your life. So Jose, how can the good people of Kentucky and honestly, wherever else they're tuning in, learn about good maps and support your business? Yeah, thank you. So goodmaps.com is the is the right place to, to start. We've got uh, active social media on uh, on Facebook and, and LinkedIn and, and Telegram. So find us there. We've got some really exciting announcements coming up over the over the next month or so partnering with some some global companies and uh, in some international sporting events that we're really excited to, to tell the world about. Good maps. There it is. Jose, we will see you here soon. Thank you, Garrett. Well, that's it, guys. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Awesomings Podcast. And another quick thank you to Lee Rosevere and a few members from our community who provide the music that you hear in this show. Lastly, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, all that jazz. Or even better, come on down to our space. Come be a part of our community and get plugged in. And let's start something awesome together. You guys rock. We'll see you next time.